Well, friends, good morning. It's uh, great to be uh, with you this morning, and I want to thank your pastor uh, and the elders for the invitation uh, to come here and to be uh, with you this morning. Uh, Russ was uh, saying this morning at the start of the service, uh, how many of you like chocolate and other things? Uh, well, you've got a great bakery here, which is Beechworth. You know that very well. I picked up a good Dutch apple cake for my wife from this place. So there you go. For those who love apple cakes, it's a good place, I suppose. I don't get any uh, commissions from Beechworth, but to just say that. Uh, it, it is great to be here, and uh, we're going to look at God's Word. It's a privilege to come here this morning and bring greetings from the uh, Ministry Development Committee and the Presbyterian Church of Victoria. Just uh, a few things. Um, I've been a local pastor in congregations together with my wife. We've served for about 30 years in local parish ministry, and uh, today my role is within uh, the Presbyterian Church to, uh, to visit across the state of Victoria. We have uh, about 138 congregations across Victoria. There are God's people scattered throughout the state, uh, and you are one of them. And every congregation is precious to God and precious to us as a denomination. It's a wide work. It's extensive work and it takes me to many places, indeed, uh, across the state. And it's a great joy to be uh, with you here this morning. So uh, let's uh, come to our God in prayer as we look at this wonderful psalm, Psalm 121. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your precious word. We thank you that your word is inspired, infallible, and inerrant. We ask this morning that, uh, that you will receive the glory, the honor, and the praise as your word is taught and proclaimed, I pray that you forgive me my sins. We want Christ to speak to us, Lord. Please, through your word, in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Well, friends, this morning I've titled the message, Traveling Through Life. If I was to ask you the question and uh, send a microphone around this morning, ask the question, how are you traveling today? I wonder what kind of responses... Uh, we might receive. Perhaps some of you might be saying, well, I'm traveling okay. Um, others might say, well, it's been a challenging week. Uh, we've heard some others in the congregation who are unwell, and so they're not here. And I said to Russ yesterday when he mentioned that to me, I said to him, perhaps they heard I was coming and they thought I better not come today. <laughs> um, life, life yeah, each one of us has a story. Each one of us are traveling in life. We are on a journey, aren't we? And as we go on this journey, as mums, as dads, as individuals, as unmarried, as single mums, single dads, parents, senior citizens, whatever age bracket we are, uh, we are on a journey. And as we travel on this journey called life, it's like a maze, isn't it? It's kind of complex. I remember once uh, going with taking our kids out to a, a maze, and I can't remember exactly the place where it was, but I got lost in the whole system. <laughs> and life is sometimes like a maze. Uh, we go through it with ups, with downs, with joys, uh, tremendous celebrations, and uh, it's also incredibly complex. How would you describe your journey this morning. Where are you this morning on that journey, this complex thing called life? How do we travel in this world? 
is there help along the way? Well, this psalm uh, is a wonderful psalm. And that's why I've, tra- I've, I've titled the message, Travelling Through Life. Uh, the Bible sees life as a pilgrimage. Uh, this pilgrimage may incorporate adventure, which is great. may incorporate joy, and that's fantastic. Incorporates triumphs of life and celebrations. Incorporates challenges and uncertainties. And life can at times throw us a real curveball, so to speak. An illness, a loss of a job, a breakup of a marriage, a breakup of a relationship. And how are we to make our way through life in this world, in this world of uncertainty? Well, I hope this psalm will be a great help for all of us. This psalm, the, the psalms in general speaks to the issues of life. If you read the psalms or you read in the psalms, you will see that. Uh, Professor Tremper Longman, in his book, How to Read the Psalms, makes the following observation about the psalms. He says, the psalms appeal to the whole person. They demand a total response. The psalms inform our intellect, arouse our emotions, direct our wills, and stimulate our imaginations. Uh, John Calvin, the great reformer, said this about the psalms. The psalms are an anatomy of the human soul. In the Psalms, we can see ourselves. We can identify with the Psalmist as they struggled through the issues of life and faith. We see their honesty as they dealt with their faith in God during their own personal challenges as they made their way through life. And so as we read the Psalms, we get encouragement for our own journeys in life. We see the psalmist asking questions. We see the psalmist, for example, being downcast. We see the psalmist singing praises to God. We see the psalmist living in complex situations. And we see the psalmist being very honest in their understanding of who God is. Aren't we like that at times? Don't we not see ourselves in the psalmist? And so as we read the psalms, we get encouragement for ourselves. And this morning as we look at Psalm 121, I want to refer to the famous 19th century Scottish missionary David Livingstone. David Livingstone was an explorer of the uncharted interiors of Africa. And on the morning he left Scotland for the mission field in 1840, he gathered with his family together and read Psalm 121. He read this psalm to seek strength from the Lord for the journey, the long, challenging journey in Africa at the time, 1840 to 1873. 1813, he was born, 1873, the period of his life. He read this psalm to seek strength from the Lord for the long and challenging journey ahead. And it is said that his mother-in-law, uh, Mrs. Moffat, how, what a wonderful mother-in-law, isn't it, to care for the son-in-law here? Uh, he wrote in a farewell letter that Psalm 121 would constantly be before her as she prayed for him. And part of her prayer was based on Psalm 121, which reads, and let me quote, Unceasing prayer is made for you. When I think of you in my heart, when I think of you, my heart will go upwards. Keep him as the apple of thine eye. 
Hold him in the hollow of thine hand. Psalm 121. And we know that, end of quote, and we know that the Lord gave David Livingston the power to fulfill the many challenges and hardships that he encountered in that vast continent in Africa. And this psalm, Psalm 121, was so helpful in Livingston's life. And so Psalm 121 is a song of ascent. Ascent means to going up. It can be translated as a song for the going up. If that makes sense. Uh, It was a psalm that the Jews would have sung as they made their way to Jerusalem. And God's people, the Israelites, would sing as they made their three times a year pilgrimage to Jerusalem. And they would do this for the three feasts. The Passover feast that commemorates the Exodus. The feast of Pentecost that commemorates the giving of the law at Sinai. Uh, And then the Feast of Booths or Tabernacles that commemorates the people of God wandering in the wilderness where they lived in tents or booths. And the pilgrims would travel to Jerusalem for these Jewish festivals. And Jerusalem was high and above the ranges. And now this psalm was sung as they would reach the hills outside of Jerusalem. And they could see Jerusalem on a distant horizon. Imagine the excitement and the anticipation And the journey was difficult. It was tiresome. It was a journey that they had to make their way to Jerusalem, like I mentioned three times a year, to worship God. And as they made their way through the terrain, they would perhaps sing this psalm and others as well. And Psalm 121 has been called the traveler's psalm. It's the traveler's psalm. So if someone is going overseas or uh, your children are moving out of home or, or whatever the circumstance, this is a great psalm, as we will see in a moment. It's being called the traveler's psalm because it is a psalm that gives strength and hope in the Lord as one embarks on a journey not really knowing what to expect along the way. And friends, in a sense, are we not all travelers in this world? Are we all not pilgrims in this world? What do you think? Yes or no? (laughs) We are. We are travelers. And I trust that this psalm will be an encouragement to you and to me today. And so we see these points in 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 the outline that you have. God as our protector, our provider, one and two. God as our preserver and God as our protector. So three things. Uh, I'm sure you can remember those three things. Right after the service, I think there's coffee and whatever that we're going to have. And that's question and answer time. And uh, hopefully you'll know these three points. God as uh, our provider, God as our preserver, and God as our protector. So let's unpack this, uh, uh, this psalm. Keep your Bibles open to it. It'll be fantastic as well. Psalm uh, verses 1 and 2. I lift up my eyes to the hills. Where does my help come? My help comes from the Lord. Who made heaven and earth. You see the journey to Jerusalem as I said was a tough journey. The trip meant that the pilgrims would have to make the upward ascent. There were no paved roads except for the well trodden parts across the valleys and alongside the river. So we see the first thing here. God as our provider. Would they be safe? The tired pilgrim had been traveling for days. His body would have been wearied and tired and Jerusalem would have been a long way. And as the pilgrim came within the sight of Jerusalem, he would have seen the hills which surrounded Jerusalem and gained some strength to keep going. Jerusalem 
was God's city. That's where the temple was. It belonged to God. And suddenly it was, as he suddenly sees the hills of Judah in the distance, he would say, I lift up my eyes to the hills. From whence cometh my help. Notice the response. I mean, very thankful that the psalmist here is asking the question. And he actually answers his, his question. That's very helpful for us, isn't it? And, and the psalmist says here, I mean, we don't have to speculate. The psalmist is saying, well, he responds, my help comes from the Lord. You see, the hills can be a place of real challenge as one makes his or her way through the hills and the valleys. There were real dangers of thieves who would attack and hence uh, they would be in a vulnerable situation. On the other hand, the hills gave them a sense of security and a feeling of confidence because symbolically it portrayed strength. You look at a mountain, it portrays strength, isn't it? The hills. So this pilgrim says, I lift up my eyes to the hills. The Hebrew word that is used there means to raise one's eyes, to look up. And then he asks the question, where does my help come from? In other words, the Hebrew word that is used there, where is my helper? It's a good question, isn't it? Have we not asked that question ourselves? Have you never asked the question? Where am I going to get help? We all need help. Uh, uh, do you agree? Or maybe you don't. You don't have to agree with me. But I think, generally speaking, we all need help, right? Little children need help. We've got little kids here this morning. They need help. As we grow up, we need help. Teenagers, they don't need help. <laughs> they need help, right? And as in our own lives, we need help. We cry out. When we get sick, we need help. When men get sick, our wives would say, you've got the man flu. We need a lot of help. <laughs> uh, some, I see some ladies agreeing with me. It's not really man flu, we really struggle with it. <laughs> we need help. As we get older, our aging parents, they need help. And some of us do have aging parents. You see, help is something we need along the way. And, uh, and, 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 and the, in, in life itself, we need help in this journey, don't we? And who is going to provide for my life as I make this, this journey through life? We never know what will come our way, do you? Life circumstances can change rapidly, just like that. You have a doctor's appointment tomorrow morning? I'm not saying you do. You've been through blood tests and all other tests. And you go to the doctors. Within seconds, circumstances can change. Who can we turn to, to be our help? And the pilgrim in this psalm is tired. It's the help. He answers his own question. My help comes from the Lord. Who is the maker of heaven and earth. He does not look to the hills for help, my dear friends. He is not looking to anyone or anything that is dwelling on the hills for help. This is not some kind of animistic cry, so to speak. Far from it, the hills with their high points have been places, for example, where the Canaanites identified their gods with the mountains. 
And on the hills, these Canaanites, they worship with cultic prostitution. But the pilgrim on this psalm looked beyond the hills and to the one who made the mountains. And the pilgrim in the psalm says, My help comes from the Lord who is. Get this. What does your text tell you? Who is the maker of the hills? Not, he says, maker of the heavens, maker of heaven and earth. What a beautiful testimony. What a beautiful testimony, my dear friends, that we see here in this psalm. And the psalmist is saying that my help comes from the Lord who made the heavens and the earth. We, we, can, we, we can essentially stop there. I'm not going to do that <laughs> for a moment. What is the psalmist saying here? That God is the creator. He's the creator of this world. Is he not? He's the creator of you and me. My help comes from Jehovah. That's the Hebrew word that is used here. Yahweh. Yahweh. You see in your Bibles, perhaps it's capital letters, is it? Yeah. It's... Yahweh, that is the Hebrew word, the, the, the word Lord is used five times in this psalm. Yahweh means the existing one, the proper name of the one true God. This name Yahweh is related to the verb to be, as in the phrase I am who I am in Exodus chapter 3. When God identified himself to Moses, he said, I am. Think about that for a moment, my dear friends. That the God that you and I know and worship and are privileged to know through the living Jesus Christ is the one who is the I am. Not that I was, I will be. No, no, I am. This name means God tells about his character. He does not change. You and I change, don't we? I mean, we had a children's illustration here, the mirror. I mean, you stand in front of the mirror. What do you see? The same person like 10 years ago? Not really, right? I mean, look at me. When I got married, I had all my hair. Now I'm just shining for Jesus all the time. You see what I mean? Life. Be change. But not so God. If God was to change, we would be in big trouble. God is a constant. I am. This is a marvelous blessing, my dear friend. I mean, I came to faith to Christ in a bioscience lab. Before that, I was worshipping the Buddha, Buddhism. And as I look at the scriptures, and as I have studied the scriptures, and I tried to proclaim the scriptures, I still can't get my head around the theological understanding of this amazing God. I am. What a privilege to know this God. When everything else is changing around us, is it not? <laughs> the world is changing around us. We ourselves are changing. Circumstances are changing. God I am remains constant. Praise God. Amen to that. Yes? 
He is the I am that is the self-existent God. He is the promise-keeping God. That's what Yahweh means. The loving covenant-keeping God. The gracious one who has provided for his people and continues to do so. Yahweh the covenant Lord and hence he's the one who can be trusted as he lifts his eyes, he sees the hills and then says my help comes from Yahweh because he's the creator of the heavens and the earth. That is Genesis chapter 1 verses 1 and 2. In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. Yeah? That's the creator God. The Bible simply begins with a profound statement. In the beginning, just clearly, God created. He's the creator, my dear friends. God created it out of nothing, ex nihilo. God spoke the creation into existence out of nothing. He did not take some pre-existent matter and reshape it into the universe. He spoke the creation into existence. There's no big bang, no evolution. The psalmist says he looked to the Lord because he placed his trust and faith in God because God is the creator. The psalmist says in Psalm 20 verse 7, some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. Do you? Do we? See, the Lord is the one who has made the heavens and the earth. Not only did he make the heavens and the earth, this, this children's talk, I didn't kind of synchronize this with Russ. It's very telling. You didn't look at my notes, but he showed a mirror. And it tells us something, my dear friends, that God, it's in my notes here, by the way, that he's the one who created mankind in his Image. And that image is shattered because of sin. And let me tell you this, in Psalm 139, we read this, For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I will praise you for, and this is just marvelous, I will praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. Each one year created in the image of God. Do you believe that? Your life is not some junk. Your life is precious. Yes? It is precious to God. And God has created you. And he has created me in his image. And he has put us here on this earth today. On this day in 2022. Saying, I have made you. What a blessing. What a blessing. <laughs> that you and I are not here by accident. We are here because God, in his grace, has made us and put us here. Our identity is tied in him. Yes? Our dignity comes from him. <laughs> and that's why we value human life. Don't we? That's it. And so Charles Spurgeon, the great uh, preacher, uh, said, Jehovah who created all things is equal to every emergency. Heaven and earth are at the disposal of him who made them. Therefore, let us be very joyful in our infinite helper. So if God made the heavens and the earth and he created you, is he not able to be our helper? Is he not? This is God. This is the Almighty One. This is the Yahweh covenant faithful God. He is our helper. And when we cry to him, we know 
that we can get an answer. The answer may not be what we want, but we can cry. It is so tempting, isn't it, friends, in life to put our ultimate confidence in this world. To look to the hills and not to the one who made the heaven and the earth. Right? Oh, it is so tempting to look at other things that can supply all the help we need. It is so easy at times to look to the hills, so to speak, and not to the one who made it. Ultimately, it is the Lord who is our provider because he's the maker of heaven and earth. He holds all things in his hands. John Calvin said this, As long as we have such a helper, there is no cause to fear. So as we make our journey through life, I hope, my dear friends, this morning, that we will have great confidence to know that our help comes from the Lord. That we can cry out to Him, no matter what our circumstances are, no matter what the pain of our heart is, my help comes from you. That is enough, Lord. My help comes from you. Continues, the Lord is our preserver, 3 to 6. If not let your foot slip, be moved. You can read that in your text. It is said that when the Greek general Alexander the Great was asked as to how he could sleep soundly in the midst of personal danger, Alexander replied that his faithful guard and commander, Parmenion, was watching. <laughs> so he could sleep. Parmenion was watching. Notice what we see here, my dear friends, that God is watching. Better than Parmenion. Right? He will not let your foot be slipped. The pilgrim is in real danger. It's about 2,000 foot climb. The reason that God will not let his foot slip, stated this language here, is yeah, in a practical sense as well. But there is more than that as well here. He who keeps you will not slumber. That is, God does not sleep. How many of us love sleep? <laughs> well, yes. Well, some of us can be sleep deprived. Some of us can be nodding away even during the sermon. I'm not saying you're doing that now. But sleep. Imagine this if God was to sleep. Hmm? Behold, he who what keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. He does not doze off. Like some of us can do at times. That's natural because we are human. We get tired, don't we? Don't we? We do. We need our sleep. And if we don't get our sleep, we can be... Other people around us will very quickly know <laughs> how grumpy we can be. Maybe it's not you. Um, I, I'm a gifted sleeper. I can, you can ask my wife and she'll tell you. I can put my head down anywhere and I'm gone within five minutes. We all need sleep as humans, but not so the Lord. He does not slumber. That is, he does not doze away for a second. We may feel that the Lord is sometimes asleep because we, have, we may not have had an answer to a specific prayer that you've been praying for months, for years. And have you not? Sometimes we pray for a long time. Lord, where are you? Why have you not answered? This morning I went for my, my usual walk, but around Bendigo was good. Go for a good walk this morning. And, sometimes, and you pray. I pray. And sometimes you ask God, what has happened? Where are you? So God does not slumber. 
The word to watch Shama is to guard, to keep watch. It occurs six times in this psalm. It's a very interesting word, isn't it? Keep, the word keep. It is a personal assurance that he who watches over you will not slumber. That is, he is always in control. He preserves all things. It's like a control tower in the airport that sees all the planes that's coming in and going out. God is sovereign. And God who made the heavens and the earth watches over you and I individually. Try getting this thought around your head. As we trust him, he knows us by name. Do you think so? What did he say to the first woman that he met after the resurrection? Who did he address? By name. Who was it? Mary. I think that's magnificent. If you know God through faith in Jesus Christ, as we will see in a moment, your name is written on the Lamb's book of life. Correct? And what a blessing that is. He made us in his image. He knows us individually. He watches over his people individually. He watches over the church here at Reform in Bendigo. Indeed, he who watches over Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. He's our keeper day and night. He's our preserver. He's our watch 24-7. One writer puts it this way. God is, never, God is ever awake, ever alert, always focused on the needs of his people. And notice, my dear friends, he watches over you. The Lord is your shade at your right hand. The psalmist uses the word shade, provides a necessity, relief from the burning sun, the danger of a sunstroke perhaps in the region. It's real danger of the moon. However, the Greek and Latin words for insanity comes from this word moon, from which we get the English word lunatic. Right? Um, and it was a belief at the time that the moon's rays could affect the behavior of the mind. And one writer puts it this way to explain this. What the psalmist really means, let me quote, Though in figurative language is that nothing either of the day or night can harm us if God is keeping guard. God is our covering against every calamity. is our shade against the visible perils of the day as well as the hidden perils of the night. He's preserving grace. Notice my dear friends what we see here in this text also that God is our protector. 7 and 8. The Lord will watch over uh, you from, uh, sorry, the Lord will keep you from all harm. He will watch over your life. The Lord will watch over your coming and going both now and forevermore. He will keep you from all harm. Keep your lives safe. He will watch over your comings and goings now and always. That's a question here, isn't it? A big question. And I'm going to put the question to you this morning. How does this work? How does it work when we say God is our protector? What, what's the meaning? You, you might say to me, Chris, just talking pie in the sky things, Chris. If God is my protector, how come? How come such and such a thing happened? How come my loved one was taken away from me? How come my brother or sister or mom or dad, a loved one, was diagnosed with a serious cancer, the one who believes in you? How come a Christian parent could lose, his, lose their children? How come? 
I had a young man in, my ch- in our church when I was pastor, 23 years old. Fine young man, fine Christian young man. He spoke to me on Sunday night. He always gave me a hard time about cricket. He bashed the Sri Lankan cricket team. He loved his ascendant cricket uh, footy club, and I am a cat supporter. So we always bantered on that. We talk about faith issues. A fine young man. Sunday night, I spoke to him. The following Sunday, the early hours of the morning, I get a phone call. This young man was driving. Did the right thing. A stolen car came. Hit him on the side. Was killed on the spot. What do we say? Sorry about this psalm. What do I say? What would you say? Does this? How is this practical, my dear friends? How is it possible that a young person, a Christian young man, is taken like that? His father is an elder in one of our Presbyterian churches. I love this family. They're part of the funeral service, everything. The tears were pouring down. What do I say to a, to a young mom and dad whose funeral I had to do of a little baby this size at the coffin on my office desk? God's a protector. Really? How does this work? I do not have the answers to that whatsoever. But my dear friends, there is a confidence that we have here in this. And that is this, my dear friends, that the point of the psalm is not that we will have no problems and setbacks in life. That is not the case, really. That is a prosperity theology that says, come to Christ and you will be sailing through life. It does not happen. Correct? None of us are immune from suffering. My thoughts go to Job who suffered much in his life. There was a man in the land of Uz whose name was Job, Job chapter 1 verse 1, and that man was blameless, upright, fearing God, and turning from evil, and he suffered. Look at the book of Job. Think, let me go, come back to David Livingston. He read this psalm, and what happened to David Livingston, my dear friends? His home was destroyed during the Boer War. His beloved wife died of fever on the field. He was attacked by a lion. He had dysentery and malaria much of his life. The point, was it good? The point of this psalm is that the Lord will keep us safe. And there is an ultimate destiny that I want to point out to you. What we see here is pushing, pointing us to an ultimate place. That along this journey, whatever may come our way, our help comes from the Lord. And there is something beyond this earthly life. You see, in the Gospels, we read of one who came to Jerusalem. Yes? Riding on a donkey. On Palm Sunday. One who entered on a donkey. He set his face boldly to the events that will unfold in that city. This one is Jesus, the Son of God. God in the flesh. 
the incarnate one, the one whose birth we will celebrate next month, Christmas, just around the corner. And God, in his grace, and God in his mercy, sent his son into this world in spite of our sin. And God has spoken to this world. And he speaks to our suffering because Jesus suffered, did he not? He knew the pain of suffering. He knew what it means to lose a loved one, one of his friends, Lazarus. Jesus, I'm not sure exactly whether this is the shortest verse, but people say Jesus wept, right? In the Bible, we read that. Jesus knew pain. He knew suffering. He knew what it means to, to speak to the prostitute. He knew what it means to speak to the, the woman who committed adultery. No, he knew the friend of sinners. And our Savior came to identify with us. With all our brokenness. With all our pain. And he set his face towards Jerusalem. It was not going to be a party, friends. He was looking to the cross. And there on the cross, Jesus suffered. He was whipped. He was nailed. A crown of thorns was put on his head. And there, he hung. And there, he suffered. And there, he was crucified. And at that very moment, the weight of your sin and mine was placed on Jesus and there was darkness and Christ paid the price for my sin, your sin. And Jesus died. And there he cried out, perhaps like this psalm, crying out for help, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It's a cry. God had not forgotten his son. On the third day, he rose again. You believe Jesus is alive? You're able to answer. I'm sorry. <laughs> yes? Please. Let it be a resounding yes. Don't be afraid. You're in a Presbyterian church. It's okay. Jesus is alive. Yes? Amen. Otherwise, we are wasting our time here this morning. I'm wasting my time. Forget it. My Savior lives. And because He lives, I can face tomorrow. Burdens are lifted at Calvary. Christ carried the burden of my sin. And then, my dear friends, He, was, he rose again from the grave. The perfect Savior Jesus paid the penalty for my disobedience at the cross. And Hebrews chapter 9, we read that without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. And Jesus died for us since he rose from the dead. He is the living one. And it is only through Jesus that we can come to know God as our Father. And it is only through Jesus we can understand God as our provider, as our preserver, and as our protector. In this life and the life to come. You rejoicing with that this morning? Do you take confidence and comfort in that? 
in the midst of our pain, in the midst of our hurts, in the midst of all the challenges, my God will never leave me. My God will never forsake me. My God will take me through this journey of life. And ultimately, my dear friends, it leads us not to an earthly Jerusalem, but to an eternal city, the holy city of God, not made by human hands. Oh, what a blessing, isn't it? We come to that heavenly Jerusalem one day on that ascent. And I think, my understanding here is, what we see in this psalm, my humble understanding is that it is a shadow of our earthly pilgrimage which points to a greater city, a greater reality that God has set out in history for this world. And what is that, my dear friends, you may ask? Hebrews chapter 11 verse 16. But as it is, they desire a better country. That is a heavenly one. Therefore God is not ashamed to be called their God. For he has prepared for them a city. Better than the city of Bendigo. The best city in the world. So. Traveling through life, with all its twists and turns, let us live life joyfully this morning. Let us live life with assurance and confidence, knowing that my Savior has died for my sin. He has conquered the grave. He is the living one, and he is doing his ongoing work of intercession before the throne room of God. Revelation chapter 4 and 5. And then I want to point you out to another city, my dear friends. Come with me to Revelation 21. Let me read it. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and first earth had passed away. No longer any sea. And I saw the holy city. Get that? The new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God. Made ready as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is among men, and he will dwell among them, and they shall be his people, and God himself will be with them. Last night I was uh, alone in my, in my hotel room, I mean, hotel, uh, and I, I was listening to sermons, and I listened to a sermon on Revelation. And my wife calls me and I said, I'm almost translated there. I'll call you later. No, I didn't say that. I was reading this book of Revelation. And what we will see here, my dear friend. I mean, I was so excited. There was no one in the room, so I couldn't even sh- I could shout, I could do anything. Here it is. I heard a loud voice from the... Th- Behold, the tabernacle of God is among men, and he will dwell among them, and they shall be his people. Wow. And God himself will be among them. And get this. Get this. Verse 4. He will wipe away every tear. Every tear. From their eyes. There will be no longer any death. Gone. No longer any mourning. Gone. No longer any crying. Gone. All pain. The first things 
have passed away. Do you see that? And as we make our journey through life, our day will come and all of the pain and the suffering and the tears, the hurts are gone. This is how we need to see this psalm. God our provider, God our preserver, and God our protector. And all of this is ours in Christ Jesus. When we repent of our sin, and we say, Lord, with all my brokenness, I just bring my life to you. Forgive me my sin. I pray to be your child. And if you're a Christian here this morning, just give thanks to God that you belong to Him. What a blessing. What a blessing. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for speaking to us in your word. I pray this morning for each one of us on this journey of life. We don't know, I don't know this, where each one is in their own particular journey in their lives today. But you know it, Lord. And whatever that may be, we just cry to you this morning for help. As we travel through life in this world. May we live so with confidence, with hope, with joy, with peace, and with reality. Knowing that in this world there will be challenges, but our help comes from you. But ultimately, there will come a day when there will be no more pain, suffering, tears, death, anything. Oh Lord, bless your people here. Strengthen us for the week ahead. May you go before us and watch over our comings and goings, now and always. Amen.